Our Bible reading this morning is from John chapter 19 and verses 1 to 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You'll not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at, the, uh, at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Thank you, Cameron. Well, um, we're going to be dealing with the judgment of the Holy One today. See, we are rapidly coming to an end of what was, uh, I guess, supposed to have been a trial. And we all know that a trial is a method by which all evidence is presented before a court uh, to allow judges to arrive at the truth and then bring about justice based on that truth. Well, see, none of this has been forthcoming here. But let us pray that we may arrive at the truth, arrive at a place in history where we individually will know the truth and that we will live accordingly. Let us pray together. Our loving Father, we ask that you will indeed be here with us today, each one of us, that you will guide us by the Holy Spirit you lovingly placed in us, that we will see through the untruths that are, that are set forth by the Jewish leadership and the Jews, and we pray, Lord, that we will see through all that, that we will see your Son for who he is, that we will worship him for what he is and for what he has done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, um, we asked a question last week. Uh, why did Pilate have Jesus flogged? He had, after all, declared him innocent more than once. As we read, then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. 
The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him in the face. Well, they didn't just flog him either. Jesus had been scourged to within an inch of his life and then further mistreated by the soldiers. It was utter humiliation. It is impossible, however, for us to know what Pilate was thinking through this time, but maybe, maybe he just thought that the sign of Jesus in such a state would have softened the hearts of the Jews. And with that, of course, that would also possibly then remove the need uh, to hand over Jesus to them to be crucified and killed. So with that in mind, Jesus, Pilate brings Jesus out. In verse 4, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for charges against him. So when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Well, the record has it that Pilate actually said, esse homo, meaning, of course, behold the man. It is a bit deeper than the translation of here is the man. As one theologian uh, expresses it, never in the entire history of the world has so much done in so short a time been so significant. Well, so here's an innocent man being railroaded onto his death by the people who should have been protecting and worshipping him. And speaking of innocent, not only had Jesus been pronounced innocent by Pilate, Judas, Judas had indeed also declared him in Matthew 27, 4. He says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate's wife also had told him in Matthew 27, 19, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. He doesn't, she doesn't want him to do anything. And Pilate himself, of course, had also done so in John 18 last week. I find no basis for a charge against him. And then we have the supposed king of the Jews that is sitting on the throne, that Herod, and in Luke 23, 15, had said, he has done nothing to deserve death. Well, may Pilate say, behold this man. Behold him indeed. He has in front of him not just a brave and suffering servant, but Jesus was and is the King of Kings. He is the Son of God, and as a resurrection would soon confirm. But is it not the same then what we have here today, that we live in a world in 2021? Don't we also go out to the world and declare, behold this man, proclaiming the gospel? And then the world, the world treats this in much the same way as the Jews did on that day back then. They totally reject. It is times like this we should indeed ask ourselves, do we stand with them or do I stand with Jesus? It is a serious question. In verse 6, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify crucify how hard 
does a man's heart get? I think it's extremely difficult for us sometimes to fully comprehend the level of hatred Satan's servants have for the Son of God. But Pilate answered them, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. See, Pilate truly wants this whole messy situation to be gone. He doesn't want to have any part of it. In verse 7, the Jews insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claims to be the son of God. See, all along, the Jews had laid six false charges and none of them had worked. So in this final desperation, they have now laid bare their real issue. But they also know that this charge against Jesus claiming to be the son of God actually made no difference to the Romans at all. The Romans really didn't care. It was meaningless to the Roman Empire, meaningless to Pilate. What this charge did, however, was to stir even more fear in Pilate. In verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. See, Isaiah 53, 7 has given us that answer. Like a sheep being led to slaughter, or a lamb that is silent before his, her shears, he did not open his mouth. So in verse 10, we go on. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or crucify you? But Jesus answered him. You do not have power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Well, Pilate thinks that he, as the government, has the power and authority over men, and to some extent, of course, that we know to be true. But as always, governments don't always get it right. We are living through a time presently the governments of the world are struggling to come to get anything right. All the while, as they're losing control, they also take away the freedom of its people, hoping to regain by that some sort of control, but ending up lurching from one problem to the next. And the next problem is probably even a bigger one. This is also where Pilate now finds himself. He has declared Jesus to be innocent. But that is rejected by the Jews, by the world. So he goes back to Jesus, trying to get some help from him, to restore his own authority. But that is only giving the truth of the facts. Fact is that it do not suit the situation, nor does it help his, in his dilemma. There is nothing there to help him. And to be told by Jesus that his authority stems from heaven rather than from Rome just isn't giving him any help. It's not serving his purpose. And Paul speaks of this in Romans 13.1. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist has been established by God. And even then, even then, with all that, Pilate keeps trying to set Jesus free. 
In verse 12, from then on, Pilate tries to set Jesus free. But the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. And anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Verse 12 is the big turning point in this whole thing. Pilate was confronted with his true fears. We read earlier in verse 8, when Pilate heard this, the fact that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he was even more afraid. But Pilate was afraid of Jesus at that point, but now we can see he is even more afraid of Caesar. And this is not so strange for us to understand, is it? We have brothers and sisters indeed, people in churches that declare their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But when they are confronted by the world, they buckle and bend. Well, some do, but some don't. Pilate was scared and here now. He is scared of the time he's living in, being Caesar and the Jews he is afraid of, whereas a true believer, of course, a follower of Jesus Christ, is more concerned with the eternal issues of life and death, the fear of being separated from God, as Christian told us. Sadly for Pilate, this time, he doesn't have this wisdom. So he has to deal with the things that he actually understands. In verse 13, when we read, when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat, a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. This simply means that the judge is ready. He is sitting in the place where judgment is passed to hand down his decision. See, up until now, Pilate had acted more as an adjudicator between two parties, that being the Jews and that being Jesus. But now he is actually assuming his role as the judge, the final judge. Verse 14, it was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Well, here there are two really sad things that are happening here right now. They are entering the Passover celebrations, one of the most holy times of the year, a remembrance of their salvation by God being taken out of slavery in Egypt. God the Father, in all fairness, ought to have been the very focus of the Jews and certainly the Pharisees and temple leaders, and yet here they are demanding the Son of God be crucified. The irony here is that Pilate is asking them, shall I crucify your king? And then the Jews reveal who they truly are here. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. See, way back in history, back in 1 Samuel 8, 6, the Jews had done something quite similar. He had written, give us a king to lead us. That statement in 1 Samuel had in effect rejected God as their king, and they had done it again. We have no king but Caesar. 
In both cases, they reject God and accept a worldly type of king. The real issue here is not that they love Caesar, but more that they really hate Jesus. They hate overrides everything they feel right up to the point of rejecting God himself. And that brings us to the biggest issue that we have here today. By claiming Caesar as their king, it removed all references to God. It absolutely eliminates God in the picture at all. Just think of a world totally without God. When you find yourself in a tyrannical world and there is no God to turn to, to plead for mercy, well, then you are left with the lust and the cruel arrogance of the human. And it's just that, this cruel arrogance and evil, that is calling for the Lord Jesus to be killed. That is what's happening here. Without God in the picture, we have no real means of guiding government properly. We actually need checks to keep governments from becoming a law unto themselves and therefore abusing the people that they are to govern. There's a serious attempt in Australia and other nations today to remove every vestige of religion, worship of the true God from the national life. We will be a nation under God or will we indeed be a nation that force God from the nation's life? You and I may not have the power in ourselves to decide what will happen with our whole of nation, but we certainly have the power to make this decision for ourselves, as well as for our children, for our church, and for the people we worship together with. Sadly, we have today, even within our own denomination, ministers and elders that are walking away and have reached a point where they have one leg in each camp, with, of course, the real problem there being for them that you cannot have a leg in each camp. You are either for God or you are against him. And when people say you're sitting on the fence, well, see, sitting on the fence, that belongs to Satan too. The Pharisees were against God. In fact, didn't even recognize him as God in this case. In verse 16 today, give us this finality of what's happening here. In verse 16, it says, finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. May the Lord God save us from this terrible situation. May we never reach a point where the world has been given the power to make you and I arrive at the point where we too reject the Lord Jesus. As the days drift by, let us all make sure that we read the Bible, that we study the Bible, that we commit ourselves to Jesus and literally arrive at a point where we are willing, willing to give up our lives for him. We need to remember what we are told by Jesus in Luke 17, 33. This is really important. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. My dear friends, this was a sad, sad day in history. 
but at the same time, it is fully within God's plan for us. It is how he is to save his people, the people he has chosen to be with him in heaven for all eternity. So it is a sad day we can rejoice in. And as we go further down this gospel of John, it will get even sadder and even more times for rejoicing. But let us reflect on what we have learned, reflect on our own lives and how we live and where we stand. Do we stand with them or do we stand with Jesus? It is a serious question. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we come before you to thank you for your goodness. We know that in all this terrible story, we know that your plan is perfect, your wisdom is perfect, your salvation plan is coming to its fruition. But Lord, we also come to understand who we are as we stand before you a throne of grace with asking you to forgive us for our sins our sins that were very much part of placing Jesus in this situation. Give us wisdom, Lord, encouragement and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.